welcome to Podshipper. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. Well, I saw Tata Cron, but I'm out on the road again. I'm on the road again. We don't make very much in America anymore, and yet we still love to buy everything from sneakers to cameras to jeans to phones to you name it. All these products are made somewhere else and transported in containers across oceans on huge ships, unloaded at ports, put on trucks and trains to distribution centers, and then driven to stores or Amazon warehouses, and eventually brought to our homes. Today we're going to examine the human health and labor impacts of our craving for cheap products delivered instantaneously. I traveled to the port of Long Beach in Los Angeles, which in reality are one big port complex, to try and figure out what's going on. I meet up with Dr. Joe Liu, who runs the Coalition for Clean Air, which was founded in 1971 and is focused exclusively on air quality issues. From creating the idea for California's original smog check program in 1981 to helping pass legislation to put one million electric vehicles on California's roads by 2025, Joe's organization has paved the way for socially and environmentally responsible air policies. I start by asking Joe how LA's air is doing. Well, this summer we had 87 straight days of violations of the federal air quality standards for smog here in the Los Angeles region. I mean, we've been fighting for clean air in Los Angeles for 60 years, and we've made a lot of progress, but we're not there yet. Give us a little example of like how far we've come. Okay, so we have reduced air pollution uh, tremendously just through adopting regulations that control sources such as refineries and power plants and cars are a lot cleaner than they ever have been. Uh, but we have more and more of them. In the same time, our goods movement industry here in Los Angeles has built up and uh, expanded like crazy. Tell us what the goods movement industry is. Uh, Well, the goods movement industry is the movement of the things that we buy at our stores, online, uh, to the places they need to go to get there. So here in Los Angeles, most of the stuff is coming in from Asia, from China primarily, and it's being distributed through the ports at terminals, over to warehouses, and then out to retail outlets. And that is the goods movement industry. It's the logistics industry. It's the movement of all these goods and all these things that we buy. The number one source of air pollution in California is the goods movement industry. Heavy-duty trucks are the number one problem, not only here in Los Angeles, but also in the Central Valley, where they have high particulate matter. And it's both related to the goods movement, the movement of goods for these heavy-duty trucks. So as an advocate, you push for this clean air action plan at the ports. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Well, there was a lot of pressure on the ports when it became obvious how they were expanding and they were really not paying attention to their environmental impacts. And, you know, look, the air quality regulators realized they are the number one source of air pollution. We're never going to get the clean air unless we do something about it. They put pressure. They put pressure mostly because a bunch of advocates got together and uh, environmental organizations got together and started putting pressure on the ports. Joe, who does the pollution impact the most? It's uh, sadly ironic that the people who work some of these low-wage jobs actually live in the communities in which the pollution is is most impacting. 
And, you know, that happens not only to the workers and, and to the people who work at the docks and, and the people who work at the rail yards and the truck drivers who service them, but it also happens to the students and the community members, the elderly, the young, everybody who lives along these, these traffic corridors next to these rail yards, right next to the ports, uh, the, at the warehouses and in the empire. They're all paying a price with their health. When you go and visit with communities that are directly impacted by air pollution from all these different sources of goods movement, what is it like? It's, it's heart-wrenching to hear these stories. There, there are community members who are losing their friends and their neighbors and their family members to cancer, and to lung cancer when they've never even smoked in their life, to their kids having asthma attacks, ending up in the hospital. And there are trucks going by their kids' schools nonstop all day long, and their kids are out there playing in the, in the yard and having to breathe all that air pollution. It's really sad. I mean, it's a very sad uh, situation for a lot of these community members. And the communities that surround these ports, a lot of them are, I mean, quite honestly, low-income communities of color, but also transient immigrant communities that don't have a lot of roots in the community and don't have a lot of political power. Next, I meet with Bob Maynard with the Teamsters Justice for Port Drivers campaign to learn about how truckers are fighting for both clean trucks and fair wages. Bob, why are the ports so important? So the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach are really the epicenter of the American economy. You drive through these ports and you see them churning six days a week, almost 24 hours a day. And you know so much of America relies on imported goods. that This is really the epicenter. Um, about 40% of the goods imported into the U.S. come here and actually go to every single congressional district in America. 20 years ago, there was a big push um, because of analysis of where air pollution problems were coming from. How did Teamsters and and the folks that you represent get involved in that? It really was the nexus of um, good jobs and clean air that when the Teamsters came together with the environmental groups to try to solve these problems because there was a tremendous amount of pollution that was um, harming the communities and the drivers themselves who have to work in these toxic environments. So um, there was an effort to come together and try to replace the trucks at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach with clean rigs um, and to try to fix the problem that the drivers really couldn't afford to pay for these new trucks. And effectively, this is low-wage work um, here at the ports. You know, once upon a time, driving a truck was a good middle-class job, but that's not the case anymore. Um, And so it's been this degradation of that work and at the same time, the degradation of the air quality that brought together um, was some thought was an unholy alliance, you know, just a really unique um, sort of coming together of of different parties and an extraordinary alliance that led to the first clean truck program and ultimately getting rid of a many of the trucks. And so the Teamsters are still here fighting for clean air, but to make sure that the drivers don't have to pay for those trucks themselves because they cannot afford them. And the problem still hasn't been fixed. I went in search of a drayage truck driver to talk with. Drayage describes the process of transporting shipping containers over short distances, normally from a port to a rail yard or to a warehouse or distribution center to begin the next leg of its journey. I meet up with Fidel Gonzalez Martinez, who has been a port truck driver for 14 years. Fidel, how does your day begin? I start like 6 o'clock in the morning, 6.30 in the morning. Then I work nine hours. It's a day shift. I'm using a tractor for the company right now, and 
we go into the port and grab the containers and take them to the customer's warehouse or railroad station. How many times do you do that a day? Two round trips a day. Then uh, we have to take it empty back to the port. And what kind of truck do you drive now? CNG is a gas natural. Is a, this truck I'm using for like four months right now. Uh, before that, I was uh, getting into the company Pacific 9 with my own truck. It uh, was a diesel truck. The old truck I have, I sell them already. So, like, how did you first hear about environmental issues relating to truck pollution? Yeah, actually, in 2009, when uh, the clean truck program get into the port of the Los Angeles and Long Beach, the companies, uh, they required, so in 2009 is uh, beginning the nightmare for many, many of the drivers of the port of the Los Angeles because we, they have to support the family and they have to pay the truck monthly and they have to pay the other expenses. And did that make you worried for your family, for your job? We didn't know how it's going to work. The money we took at home is uh, getting less because we have to pay the truck. My friends, they took seven years to pay, but uh, between that seven years, they changed the, the regulation or program they have uh, for that trucks, and they changed them to another bank or institution to give them another rates. So in these days, it's almost 10 years, they still pay in the truck, which is supposed to be five years. So that affects a lot. For the other people, yeah. So how much money would it cost to upgrade an old truck or buy a new truck that met the standards? Is like, just give us a sense of how, how much are we talking? These days, it's going to be up to $350,000. So that's going to be something maybe impossible for the drivers to, to maintain those trucks. So that's why we, uh, we are fighting. We may do many strikes. And uh, we're still fighting for this. When you go into Walmart or Target now, do you feel differently about the products on the shelf? When I get into the stores, let's say I'm, I'm going to think about, oh, this, uh, this uh, item is uh, cheaper than this. But uh, that cost, today, the companies pay me less. So in the other words, if they sell a cheaper product, they pay us less money to the people who... Uh, transport these uh, stuff to the stores. So at the end of the thing, we are paying the, all the problems caused the uh, transport. The consumer are happy because uh, it's uh, cheaper, but we are more in problems if we have to take care of the trucks. To find out how we can change this dynamic, I meet with Jessica Durham from the LA Alliance for a New Economy. Jessica, how have we allowed this situation to get so out of control? I think this, in many ways, this is an invisible workforce. It's it's work that people don't think about. You press a button and you, some a box appears on your doorstep or you go to the mall and it's there. And people don't think about how these goods get to them. And it's really, you know, in, in sort of the, at the same time, this the trucking industry was deregulated. The whole global economy is restructured. So all of our goods are coming from outside, you know, the United States for the most part. Um, and all of them come 
through some port of entry, and most of them come through these ports, um, especially for us here in Southern California. Um, and so I think it is important for people to think about um, not just the drivers, the warehouse workers, the long haul drivers, all the men and women who are getting those goods to your doorstep. And, you know, what are the conditions you know, they're working under? What are the, what kind of technology are they using? What kind of trucks are they driving? What impact is this having on the environment? And how are you trying to change that? So I think it's important to make visible this workforce. It's the big box retailers at the end of the day who are really um, the ones driving this, this system. So, I mean, right now we could go and get fair trade chocolate that showed that, you know, mm -hmm. the chocolate we got from Sierra Leone didn't have any slave labor involved in it. But if you want to find out if the trucks that delivered your goods are contributing to the worst air quality in the United States. How, how do you do that as a consumer? There are not a lot of choices um, for consumers. So I think that's why it's important that we, we get engaged, we support these workers in their fight, we contact our elected officials um, to do what they can, we communicate with you know, the stores that we shop at, you know, that we want them to have standards and to hold the trucking companies and any you know, subcontractors um, that they employ uh, responsible for, for following our laws and for treating their workers with dignity and respect. Diesel trucks are the number one reason that we're still not attaining federal clean air standards. So how, do you, how are we doing on that? Are we moving the fleet over? Is it changing over? So with the passage of the first clean truck program, in 2008, the entire fleet um, at the ports of LA and Long Beach were completely turned over. Um, so there was about a 90% reduction in diesel emissions. Um, there's currently a new program in place. Part of the challenge is that we still haven't resolved the underlying problem, which is that the you know trucking companies are pushing the cost of these trucks under the backs of the drivers. Um, so to get to that zero emissions future, again, we really need the companies to take responsibility for their capital costs and to to take responsibility for the truck, the cost of these new clean trucks. Companies need to take responsibility for purchasing the trucks and maintaining the trucks in the first place. Or if the drivers have happen to have their own truck, reimbursing them for their expenses rather than forcing them to pay for everything out of pocket. Back with Bob Maynard with the Teamsters Justice for Port Drivers campaign, I ask her what it's going to take for drivers to be heard. These drivers have gone on strike 16 times in the last five years, continued to file more claims, and they're not quitting. They're not going to stop. That's going to continue to escalate. The other thing that the drivers are continuing to do is they're letting the retailers know that um, that these companies are breaking the law. And if they're not careful, then um, they're going to be held liable. So we are continue to be focused on uh, cleaning up these ports, making sure that they're healthy and safe for the workers and for the people who live in these communities, but that the drivers don't have to pay for it. So give an example of a company that you think is breaking the law and what would happen if they treated the, the truck drivers as employees. Mm -hmm. There are countless numbers of companies here that are actually breaking the law, but let's just focus for a moment on some of the big ones. XPO Logistics is one of the biggest players here, and NFI Industries, I would say, is the other big, huge player that is really driving the, the path of the low road here and making it difficult for smaller companies who actually want to follow the law to conform with the law because, frankly, they can't compete, right? It's very difficult to do that. 
Pacific 9 Transportation did change their model. They brought the drivers in. Some of them uh, were are pure employees that um, drive company trucks. Others are employees who actually brought their own trucks over, and they pay them not only for their time, but also they give them a stipend for the, for the truck as well. So it's a model that clearly can work. There are multiple models that will actually work that conform with the law, and that's critical. Every company runs their company differently. That's their, their absolute right. But what isn't their right is to break the law. What isn't their right is to demand of the workers that they pay for the new regulations for clean trucks. That is wrong. It's illegal. And it needs to stop. So really the model is, like, that most people would understand is, like, a UPS driver. If we suddenly ask UPS or FedEx or the garbage truck driver to pay for the cleanup of the truck to make sure it conformed right. with standards, people will be like, that makes no sense at all. That's basically what's happening here. That is exactly what's happening. And the real problem with it is that when a governmental agency rules that there should be a new truck, stricter requirements of any kind, if that company, if that obligation is put onto a company, they have the ability to pass on the cost of that to their customers. The drivers, these drivers don't have a direct relationship with the customer. They don't have any bargaining power. They don't have any ability to say, hey, that new truck is going to add let's say $500 a month to my operating costs. Therefore, I'm going to raise my rates charged to Walmart, to Home Depot, to Lowe's because the governmental agencies have changed the rules, right? That's not what happens. And so as a result, those rates have not risen to keep up with the demands of the community for clean trucks. And that instead, that has pushed down and pushed into a corner, if you will, these drivers who have had to pay all of that out of their own pocket. You read a lot about electric vehicles. And then immediately after that, you read about autonomous vehicles. Like, tell us about how you think the industry is going to shape over the next 10 years. The autonomous trucks may work right inside of the harbor where you're moving containers from point A to point B. But here you're actually having to go through traffic and move through surface streets. And there's not a an expressway, if you will, um, that goes straight from a marine terminal to, let's say, a Walmart distribution center. It just doesn't exist. And it's hard to imagine, given the Los Angeles and Long Beach landscape, that they could actually construct something like that. And now word from our sponsor, Fully. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. A jingle bell swing and jingle bells ring. Talking of complex logistics, with his boisterous laugh, rosy cheeks, elven workers and reindeer sleigh, Santa is a good movement genius. Unfortunately, the swift and timely delivery of presents can come at an enormous cost. In what's left of the Arctic, days blend together and months slip by as St. Nick sits in his workshop checking lists and making toys. He never thought the bad kids would use the coal to melt his winter wonderland. In fact, Santa has had to come to grips with many difficult truths this season. His sciatica was causing so much pain that he was tempted by the Demerol and Percocet he often found in the closet next to the milk and cookies. Through this adversity, Santa has learned an important lesson. You sit on a throne of lies. Something had to give. The fateful day came when Santa discovered Fully's line of ergonomic stand-up workstations. For the first time in centuries, his hunch started to recede and his back felt relaxed. 
The next miracle was spotted in a nearby Norwegian elven workshop where Santa's helpers had seen a chair like no other. It was called the Capisco, and it allows Santa to remain jolly all year round. As fate would have it, St. Nick was also able to order the Capisco chair on fully. You don't have to be a mythical present giver to know that active sitting supports healthier postures by aligning the spine, opening up the hips, engaging the core, and improving circulation, ensuring the energy and physical ability needed to endure a night of jumping in and out of a flying sleigh pulled by Rudolph and his friends. The biggest present you could give yourself or someone you care about is to go right now to fully.com slash earth and check out their array of affordable and eco-friendly standing desks and active sitting chairs. It will change your world while you work to change ours. Go to fully.com slash earth and invest in your health. Now there's a resolution we can all support. And now... Back to our episode on trucking. Trucking, got my chips cashed in. Keep trucking. Back with Dr. Joe Liu, the director of the Coalition for Clean Air, I ask if the cargo ships themselves are part of the pollution problem for Los Angeles. So ships actually are going to be the number one source of air pollution in 2023 when we are supposed to hit one of the major milestones for the Clean Air Act. The ships will get cleaner over time, but the problem is they last forever. So if you have a dirty ship, it's going to be out in the seas and in your ports for decades. So I've been on one of these ships. I mean, the bunker fuel is actually solid and they have to heat it up before they can turn it into fuel. So bunker fuel is literally the bottom of the barrel. You take a barrel of oil, the crap that is at the bottom of the barrel is the worst thing. You can't even refine it. They throw it into a ship and, you know, it doesn't really matter because they're out in the middle of the ocean. You burn that and you get your ship across the ocean. In the last few years, the International Maritime Organization has adopted emission control areas, a standard for low sulfur fuels near the coast. Those ship fuels are cleaner now that they're closer to the port because of these regulations. So why will, in 2023, these vessels still be such a large contribution to poor air quality? One of the worst problems we have here in the ports of Los Angeles and ports of Long Beach is that people send us their dirty ships. So even though there are some cleaner ships in Europe and serving the Mediterranean, we are getting the dirty ones. We're getting the oldest and the dirtiest ships. What we're trying to do is convince them to send us cleaner ships. And then there was a deadline recently for them to start building even cleaner ships. And in order to get around that deadline, they built the hulls of a bunch of older ships so they could put dirtier engines in them. I remember you were pushing really hard to have a a near or a zero emission port operation. That now exists in in the Long Beach LA port complex. Well, we have one terminal, the Long Beach container terminal, that has gotten as close to zero as any terminal in the entire world. And it's incredibly clean. And so we're proud of that. Uh, We're proud of that accomplishment. They went above and beyond the required legal uh, environmental mitigations. And we think they set a standard that everybody else should be living up to. I follow Joe's advice and go and meet with Anthony Otto, the president of the Long Beach Container Terminal, the first fully zero-emission cargo terminal in the country. Anthony, tell us how this all began. That's a long story that started back almost 15 years ago. That was right in the middle of a lot of community and environmental opposition to any further port growth. It was a bad time for the ports here in Southern California. It was... uh, 
came at a time where we were getting dubbed as the diesel death zone. We somehow went from the the star of the economy to uh, the diesel death zone, as they said. And it came clear that, you know, as we, if the port was going to continue to grow, that they had to clean up their act. Port of LA, Long Beach, wound up cleaning up emissions from our industry in upwards of 85, 90% through the course of that, the last 10 years. What sources of emissions were there and kind of what you've done here to clean them up? Oh, 15 years ago, the, the vessels, none of them plugged into shore power. They burnt the dirtiest fuel that exists in the world, burnt their auxiliary engines while they were in port. Along with that, you had the oldest, dirtiest trucks that were coming to and from the port, bringing goods to market within the region. You had dirty locomotives. You had all diesel equipment in the container terminals uh, that were delivering containers um, all day, all night. A lot of diesel work taking place. And what have we come to? This Basically, this facility is fully electrified. It is the first near-zero emission container terminal. And it is, I can say confidently, that it's the cleanest container terminal, not just in this country, but on this planet. Maybe you could explain what we're seeing right now. It's a lot of 20, 40-foot containers that are coming and going off of ships all day, every day, um, 365 days a year. And those containers and the logistics of placing them to and from the ship into the yard, to and from rail cars that are coming and going, and even to trucks that are coming going through the gate to local market, is a, a nonstop dance of container transportation logistics. The, the difference here is that we've also been able to fully automate the operation to the greatest extent possible. So being a leader is kind of tough in some ways because you're out in front. There's still a lot of dirty container yards here, even in the port of LA and Long Beach. What's your prediction of how quickly this type of technology, this kind of setup will be adopted by the rest of the industry? The U.S. is a little behind the curve on this technology. Europe has been doing this for 15, almost 20 years. But for the most part, we have been left behind, and we have not been able to evolve technologically until just recently. That's what LBCT represents as kind of a, an evolution towards providing a better service and lower emissions to the goods movement industry. It is um, light years ahead of anything else here on the West Coast. Cool. Let's go outside. So right here, Anthony, you're checking that the vehicles are roadworthy and that they meet the clean air standards. So anyone who wants to do business into the Port of Long Beach or Port of Los Angeles has to be part of that database, which is then shared with each of the terminals. And those are the, only the trucks that we would allow to do business through this facility. And that's how we verify that they are, in fact, a clean truck. These cranes are absolutely massive. I've never seen cranes as big in my life. The cranes to be able to handle not just the biggest ships of today, that are on the oceans, but any ships that might be contemplated in the future. Ships have gotten bigger and better. Now, they're actually the largest ship-to-shore cranes in the United States right now, in terms of sheer mass, reach, height. When I started in this business, 3,000 to ship was as big as it got, and then they slowly made their way to 8,000, and I, everyone could have swore that's as big as they would ever be. And here they are at 22,000 to you. They're uh, floating behemoths. And in terms of environmental benefit, what, what are you most proud of personally in terms of what you've been able to accomplish? It came at an incredible cost you know, to achieve what we've done environmentally. But we took it on, and now that we're here, I could say, you know, it's one of the proudest things of my life. How much did it cost? Oh, uh, well, in construction, it was about $1.5 um, And in equipment, 
technologies, cranes, and so on, is about another 600 million. So it's in excess of $2 billion to build this facility at full build out. Everybody sees this as progress, both from the environmental perspective as well as an advancement in technology and for the, for the goods movement industry. So it's a win for everyone. Does it put more pressure on the competitors to, to achieve your standard? Yeah, I think we were perceived for a long time there as the troublemakers, but uh, you know, we, we were willing to do what was necessary to get this project up and running. I meet back up with Dr. Joe Liu, the director of the Coalition for Clean Air, to ask why, with the exception of the Long Beach facility I just visited, the U.S. is so far behind other countries when it comes to cleaning up the goods movement system. You would hope that we would hold ourselves to a standard higher than everyone else in the world. We're not doing that yet. There are efforts and there are plans and there are demonstration projects and there are small incremental steps that are taking place every year. In, in getting us there. We're getting closer. I think the, the vision is there. I, the, the ports recognize that the communities aren't going to let up, that the regulatory agencies aren't going to let up, that they're going to have to get there. But it's going to take some time. It seems like a lot of the stuff comes in in containers. It's then put on locomotives. They seem pretty old and filthy. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, locomotives are regulated by the federal government. The federal government tends to say, well, if you buy a new locomotive, it has to be clean. And then it takes decades to actually turn the fleet over. Again, we're getting dirty locomotives here. We could have much cleaner locomotives. We'd have very little authority or capability of forcing them to bring us the clean locomotives. They're a huge source of air pollution, and we're trying to deal with it as best we can. The communities that live on the rail corridors are often low-income and communities of color. Yes, absolutely. In Long Beach and Los Angeles, there's a, a port terminal in Southeast Los Angeles. There, there, there are uh, locomotive uh, rail yards in, in the Inland Empire, San Bernardino, Riverside, Ontario. There are rail yards, all of which are surrounded by low-income communities of color and all of which are being impacted by the diesel emissions there. In West Long Beach, community groups are fighting Warren Buffett's BNSF Railway, which wants to build a massive facility where 5,500 trucks would bring containers from the port onto trains each day. This Southern California International Gateway project is opposed by air regulators, environmentalists, and neighbors who contend in lawsuits that the 185-acre yard would dramatically worsen air quality. I meet up with community activist Evelyn Knight, who has lived in Long Beach since 1962 and marched with Dr. Martin Luther King from Selma to Montgomery. I ask her, why is she opposed to this new rail yard? When they were going to expand rail yards, and that meant that they were going to have thousands of more trucks, and they, all, they never got rid of all the ones that's already doing these things in our community, and now they're going to add some more, and that didn't make sense. So, so we rallied, and we had meetings, and, we, and the port was saying how this was going to be so much better and all the changes that they were going to be making and how you're going to have all this good stuff when you're bringing some more bad stuff in. It wasn't making too much sense to anybody but them who wanted to try to fool us, <laughs> so it wasn't making any sense. We demonstrated and we talked and we marched around and let people know we were there. We met with the port people and, and when they had meetings, we had people from the community who had experience 
cancer, illness, sickness of their children and their families and death. We, we ourselves were engaged to try to get them to listen and to do alternatives. And they was always talking about having more jobs and more jobs and more jobs and, and, and more money. And when we would go to the Air Quality Board, one time I went to one of those meetings and this man, we were talking about how bad the pollution was and what it did to people. And one man got up there and he said, Oh, yeah, I know that pollution caused problems. He said, my own grandchild has asthma, and I know that that's creating problems for him, but I need this money. This man is here, you know, talking in favor of even things that's happening to his grandchild for some money. Is somebody going to sacrifice their, ch their grandchild? You can't worry about other people if you can't worry about your own family <laughs> you know so what have we come to you know and you managed to stop it mm-hmm yes yes we went up to uh, Omaha Nebraska and we we protested Warren Buffett we walked around Omaha Nebraska with this great big eight-foot respirator and we talked like his big meeting that he had with his moneyed people, his stockholders, and we we sent messages to him, and, and we did all kinds of things in Omaha, Nebraska, and rallied all over the place and had a good time doing that. It, it's always good. When you engage, you know, you, you make friends, you do things with people, and there are people that want to see you doing these things, and you have to be, not be afraid to do it, you know, not be afraid to stand as a... You know, King said... If you don't stand for something, you'll lay down for anything. <laughs> and that's really what will happen to people. What's the next step for you, Evelyn? I tell people this stuff is from the womb to the tomb. So I'm going to do what I do because I do what I enjoy doing and what I like doing. Before leaving Long Beach, I asked Dr. Joe Lou, the director of the Coalition for Clean Air, how much it would cost to clean up all the goods movement activities in Southern California to actually stop all that pollution, to prevent all that pollution that's happening as a result of all those imports, it would cost a few cents on a pair of running shoes. It doesn't cost all that much. The problem is it's nearly impossible to make someone in Kansas City pay those few cents to help offset the pollution that was caused by importing that. And the companies that you know benefit from all of this, the big box retailers primarily, they're, you know, reluctant to even raise a price a half a cent uh, because it's so competitive in their, in their industry. But they have to come to the table and they have to help pay for it. And it needs to benefit not only Southern California, but ports all along the West Coast and across the country. So, Joe, what are the next steps? So we need to do two things. We need to, to shine a bright light on these big box retailers to hold them accountable for what's happening at these ports and, and along these logistic freight industry communities. That way, the same kind of attention that was put on people who are operating sweatshops will be put on the consequences of the pollution that's happening here in Southern California. That needs to happen. And the other thing is they need to be sat down at a table and said, look, you got to help solve this problem. And it's your responsibility. You can make it happen. Everyone's got to have skin in the game. How much money is coming in through the port a day, would you estimate? About a billion dollars a day of goods come through the ports. And it takes about a billion dollars a year for the next 14, 15 years and actually clean all that up. So it's not that much in the scheme of things. 
It's two weeks. Yeah, it's two weeks of 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 the cost of the goods. That's over over ten years. So it's coming up to Christmas, Joe. I know you've got three kids and a a wife. Are you conscious when you buy stuff, thinking about I'm not going to buy this because it just has too big an impact? Yeah, I try to be, but I, I I tell you, I'm I'm as guilty as others in a lot of ways in, in doing that. I, when I do order on Amazon, I try to bunch it up at the end of the week or the end of two weeks and, and order it all at once so they can maximize the efficiency for how they, they get that stuff to me. I mean, I just had a yard sale and I got rid of a bunch of stuff and it felt so good to get rid of it. Uh, I have my, way more stuff than I need and I really, um, my kids don't need a whole lot of things and uh, we're trying to make sure that they recognize that these things come at a cost. Thank you so much to Dr. Joe Lou, Bob Maynard, Fidel Gonzalez-Martinez, Jessica Durham, Anthony Otto, and Evelyn Knight for shining a light on the often invisible underbelly of our import-driven economy. I often hear about the environmental impacts of how products are made or dealt with at the end of their life, and it was shocking for me to discover how much still needs to be done to clean up the way goods are moved around in our own country. When tough regulations are issued to reduce emissions from trucks, we need to make sure that truck drivers aren't being asked to pay the price. The fact that truck drivers are being illegally labeled as independent contractors so that hugely profitable logistic companies don't have to pay for cleaner running vehicles is outrageous. Anthony Oto's zero-emission Long Beach container terminal shows us what's possible if we commit ourselves to a pollution-free future. I was so heartened to meet with Evelyn Knight, who at 85 took on Warren Buffett and has been winning every step of the way. Evelyn has an amazing life story that she'll share in a future episode of Podship Earth. Since Christmas is next week, it's worth remembering that making something by hand not only will be meaningful for whoever receives the gift, it might also finally help to clean up the air in Los Angeles. Next week, we look back at the 156 amazing people that we've interviewed in 2018 and get inspired all over again. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey from the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, producer Nancy Ferranti, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jared Blumenfeld, have a very peaceful holiday week. <laughs> 